You're listening to the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast. We hope this message speaks to you and encourages you. You can find more messages by searching Catalyst Church of Carrollton on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learn more at IamCatalyst.net. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Tell somebody, say, I'm ready. Uh, The Holy Spirit is our counselor and our helper. We can be close to God through the Holy Spirit. God wants to do life with us. And God's Spirit uh, changes our lives and the power of God's Spirit works through our lives. That is who we are. That is what we believe. And today I want to talk about the awkward stuff. I do. And for some of you, uh, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be some things you've never heard of or you've been scared of having to hear of. And I left my wallet up here, baby. I'm sorry, but uh, it's done now. Forgive me. Um, We're going to talk about it. Tell somebody, say awkward. Say, say awkward. Online, say awkward. Oh, I love awkward. I I, I like dive in it now. I've had to learn to. Uh, There's some things that may be uncomfortable. So I want to give a disclaimer to all my new catafam and all my old catafam. I want to remind you, we will never force or pressure anything on you. But I am going to be honest and and open you up to the to the possibilities, not the and the impossible ones. I am, and I will never force anything. You can take it or leave it, but I'm going to teach it. I will love you either way. You can disagree with me, but I'm going to put it out there because that is the responsibility that God has given me here. Uh, Tell somebody, say awkward. 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 Lord, I ask you to help me speak to how close you are to us and how close we can be to you. You are not just God with us. You are God in us. Help us take that seriously. Help us take that seriously. Help us learn to be open to it and receive it and walk in it in every day, every season, and every part of our lives, no matter what. Help us be open to what's available to us right in this moment and every moment after in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated, tell somebody around you, say, it's about to get weird up in here. Because it is. It is. It is. It is. I promise. Let me give me time. It's going to get weirder and weirder, and that's okay. That is okay. It's the good seasons that we don't seek God as much. It's always the good seasons that we seek God less and feel like, honestly, or at least live like that we need God less. We may say we need him more, but we, we don't live like it in good seasons. I marry Angie, got everything I could ever want in a wife and a family, and then some. Prayed for it. And I was enjoying that season, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed answered prayers. I mean, don't you? Don't you enjoy when God comes through and God blesses you? Do you enjoy it? And what happened is, is I was enjoying it. I was living it up. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't seek him as much as I did when I was a lonely single dude that had nobody. I didn't. And I had to learn to manage. I had to learn to manage the season that I was in and also invest in my relationship with God. And it took me a minute. Don't worry about the mic stuff. We'll have to figure it out next week, but I'm going to keep rolling. I'm going to keep my attention this week. So I had to learn, and I, I learned to invest. I learned to reinvest. I learned how to, what it was going to look like in that season. Then we start Catalyst. We start Catalyst, and Catalyst has some incredible growth. I mean, and, and I was busy. I was busy doing good things. I was busy doing ministry. I was busy because you can be busy doing the good things and the right things. You can be busy winning and being successful. You can be busy. You don't believe me? You love your wife. 
You love your wife, but all y'all do is raise kids, run, and pay bills, and your marriage takes a back seat. Because what happens in seasons when God gives you more is what you do is you invest in what God has given you in less than what and who got you there. And so I've learned that it's actually the good seasons that we don't aren't as desperate for him and we don't seek him. And those are the seasons that I got the driest in life. I have stood up here with this house packed and felt more dry than I ever have in my life. Because it's those seasons that we don't seek him as much. It's those seasons that we don't experience his power and his presence as much. You may accomplish things, you may accumulate things, you may, you may have some success, you may find the person, you may build a good family, raise some good kids, but you do not experience his power and his presence and his spirit the way he intended for you to because you are not invested. And I've been as guilty as every one of you, maybe more so in a lot of seasons. And it's the good seasons, and it's the good seasons, so we get busy. 2020 happens. 2020 happens, the world falls apart, and Catalyst Church does too. I'm not going to lie about it. It absolutely did. Absolutely fell apart. And I began to seek God and study like I never have in my life, not seminary, not as a teenage kid when I was getting my, developing my uh, passion for the Scripture. I studied and hit my knees. I hit my knees. I checked my heart, and I want to read to you a Scripture. I want to read you a scripture that doesn't just sum up my entire life. It sums up the last year and a half of my life to a T, and it can every one of ours. Jesus said this. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, he breathed on them. This is before Pentecost. This is before the Holy Spirit fell on the New Testament church in Acts. This is before all that. This is Jesus and his closest friends, which, by the way, you're called a friend of God too. It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There has been moments in my life, and especially the last year and a half, that I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see straight physically because of mental and emotional fatigue. But those are the moments that I grew and I found his presence just like I did as a child. God carried me. God carried this church. God carried my family. And what you see today, a year and a half later, is not by power nor by might, but by his spirit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What God can do in your life will not be by power, by might, by your ability, by your talent by your bank account, by how hard you work, by how faithful and loyal you are, by how good of a husband or a wife you are, by how, how much you carry of your friends and family's burden that God never asked you to carry and the things that you put on yourself that God didn't. I don't care how loyal you are, not by power nor by might, but by his spirit. So forgive me today. Forgive me today. Forgive me today if I'm a little bit too much and over the top because I have seen his goodness 
in the good, the bad, and you don't get the good without the bad. He has done what he has done, and I know that he won't just do it for me because God is no respecter of persons. God is a lover of people. He loves my family. He loves this church. He loves you. He loves your family. He is for you, and here's the thing. He will do it, so forgive me if I'm over the top, but I'm sorry, not sorry, because I'm going to pour my heart out to show you today that he wants to show himself to you just like he does me. Tell somebody, say, it's about to get weird up in here. It's about to get weird up in here. And I'm going to throw this out there. Supernatural power comes from God's presence and God's word. Y'all know I usually try to get all these creative, flashy, a little bit edgy points and stuff. Not today, because this is the gospel, God's truth, and it's as simple as it gets. Supernatural power comes from God's presence and God's word. It is not flashy, it is powerful, it's the truth. They were being petty with Jesus. I need to go handheld. Yeah, go ahead. Nick. All right, all right, I'm gonna go handheld. Are we there? We're gonna see if I can be the OG. Y'all gonna see if I can do it? I'm, I'm, I'm handcuffed, so I'm gonna need your help because I like, I, this is handcuffed for me, but we'll figure it out next week. Y'all ready? Y'all gonna help me? So they were being petty with Jesus. Real petty. They were trying to like ask stupid questions to make him look bad. And Jesus said something. This is going to be a mess today. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. I ain't like most people. Most people can do everything with one hand. I can't do it with two hands what most people can do with one hand. So what God gave me. He gave me a mouth, not hands. And sometimes not a good mouth. Jesus replied to them, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. You don't know the scripture and you don't know his power. That's your mistake. That's my mistake. That's all of our mistakes. It's why you stay wounded. It's why you lost your joy. It's not because you lost your job. It's not, be it's not because you lost your husband. It's because you don't know his presence. You don't know his word and you don't know his power. A lot of people are like, I just speak the word. I just got one or two verses. How in the world? You know your Netflix originals and your Peacock Prime, uh, all those things like the back of your, your romance novels, you know them like the back of your hand, but you don't know his word. How can you speak something that you don't know? I'm not talking about scholarship today. You're going to see that I'm not talking about that. How can you speak something? You cherry pick a few memes that somebody put on Twitter that's their scriptures here and there. How do you know? How can you know someone or somebody? When you, how, can you, how can you experience someone or somebody when you don't even know them? Jesus told the people that knew a lot about him. He said, you boys, biggest mistakes you don't know is you don't, still don't know my word. You don't know my power. Oh, I, I don't question your love for Jesus, by the way, because I'm preaching to myself here. I don't question that. It's just a lot of times our love for Jesus is as deep as the person that you said was the love of your life on the third day. And I'm just going to throw this out there. They may be awesome, but you don't know them. They may be as awesome as you blow them up because you're all infatuated. But I'm going to tell you, you don't know them. And then there's the people, how in the world can you know someone or somebody? How can you hate someone or somebody that you don't even know? In the Bible, we're like, in the Bible, you know, you're like the Bible, the God of the Bible sucks. The Bible sucks. It's ridiculous. There's a lot of misogyny and messiness. And there is, I acknowledge that. But how in the world can you know that it's ridiculous when you don't even know it and hadn't even read it? Boy, you, boy, you, been, you binge watched Ozark. 17 times, but you don't even know it. How can you hate something or someone you don't even know them?
You do that with your leaders in this country too, by the way. You do it with your leaders that you don't like. You don't like their flavor. You don't like how they roll. You don't like how they lead. You hate somebody you don't even know, and you do it with God. Don't even realize it. Supernatural power comes from his word and his presence. Then there's some that read the Bible like a textbook. They want, they want to know it like it's a college chemistry book, and they want to lord it over people like it's facts. And Jesus talked to them people too. He said, boy, y'all boys don't know nothing. Paul, I think it was Paul that said, the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. Read it like a textbook. You don't know him. You got this surface level thing with God, and God is like super. He tells these boys, these boys that were pious, they did their thing. He said, your mistake is you don't know his word and you don't know his power. And I am as guilty as every one of you, but I'm open to the possibilities. Tell somebody it's about to get weird up in here. Jesus said, but you will receive, say that with me, power. Say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Can you just wake up right now? Can you say power? power. Can you say it again? Say power. A lot, of you, a lot of you got insecurities and you don't feel like you're worth nothing. You don't feel like you got nothing to give. You don't feel like it's worth raising your voice. I did it too most of my life, but say power. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, which was his presence, comes on you. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says to the, uh, to the church of Corinth, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. God, uh, Paul tells the church at Rome, uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, now to him, Bradford said this one, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work where? In us. Supernatural power comes from his presence and his word. And the deeper you go, the more he changes you. And the less you seek him, the less you get changed. The less discipline that you put on your life, man, you'll go to the gym and work out religiously, but how much do you truly talk to him? You'll spend a lot of time looking at them investments and that retirement and, and how much the markets got hit. You'll spend a lot of time going on 17 dates online because you're so lonely and you'll force somebody that don't even like you and you don't like them to marry you. But how much time have you truly invested into him? Because supernatural power, depth comes from him. He created us. Deep calls to deep, the Bible says. You don't get deep without the one who created you and you don't get deep without seeking him. Jesus said, your problem, guys, is you don't know him, you don't know me, and you don't know my power. And power comes from me. Y'all, I, I know that I've gotten comfortable in my own skin, but I am very aware that I should not be on this stage, that I should not be able to make sense of anything. I know my, I know my deficiencies. I know my shortages. I know all my disabilities better than you and most. But I'm going to tell you, I'm up here because supernatural power comes from God's presence and God's word. And, and, and whatever God has called you to do, it may not be on a stage, but as a parent, as a spouse, on a stage, singing, whatever he's called you to do, when the timing he's called you to do it, supernatural power comes from God's presence 
and God's word. I've gotten away from that truth in my life and I've had to realize I gotta be desperate because whatever God has for me, I'm not gonna live in that reality in the depth of it and I'm not gonna grow in it unless I am truly investing in him. And I've learned it's the good seasons that I stop investing as much. Oh, you'll go to your knees. What, is, what does somebody do when they get in there? Oh, Jesus! When somebody, they're about to hit somebody. But it's when you're rolling, the bank account is raining that you're like, ah, I'm doing good. I'm winning. I, I did this. And God offers that power and that presence to every one of us. Right here, right now. He offers a peace that Paul said passes understandings that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is something not for one day and eternity. That is something you get to live in right now, but you get to choose it and you got to invest in it just like you invest in your spouse. You stop investing in your spouse, guess what? You lose intimacy. You may live a great life, build a great life, but y'all are co-inhabitors, not, not, not one. You're just legally married. So that's about to get weird up in here. Normal isn't the goal in the kingdom of God. I'm going to throw it out there to you. Normal isn't the goal in the kingdom of God. We live in a culture we want to be normal. We say we don't. We put words to it. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be great. I want to be the goat. I want to be the best. I want to build the, I want to be the, the boss. No, you just want to be the best, the boss, the goat, and all those things and normal things. You don't want to stand out. You just want to be the best at things that are normal. We don't want to stand out. We don't. We want to be normal. We, want to, we, don't want to, we, don't want to, we don't want to have to deal with those things. That's why a lot of people really, a lot of people can't build something in their life bigger than themselves because they can't handle it. But normal isn't the goal in the kingdom of God. Watch this. Jesus healed this blind man. Watch this. You want to talk about abnormal? It says, then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes and told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sin. So the man went and washed and came back saying, Jesus was awkward. This was unorthodox, dramatic, and a little cray. It made no sense. By the way, if you look up customs and culture, there was no sense to this. There was no reason he did this. You know why that is? It's because the kingdom of normal isn't the goal in his kingdom. Trusting him is. And it's not about what Jesus asked you to do. It's about do you trust him? Because if you don't trust him to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable, how in the world are you going to trust him when tragedy strikes your life? How are you going to trust him when the relationship and the way it ended doesn't make any sense and you... Because normal isn't the goal in God's kingdom. Normal isn't the goal if you're seeking God and trusting him. Trusting him, growing deeper in him is the goal. Because I'm going to tell you, there are times in your life, and, and, and when I say God speaks to you, I don't even mean audibly. I mean that he impresses on your heart and what you know you need to do. Because every one of us right here, you know what you need to do better. I don't have to tell you. I just got to encourage you in it. You already know it. Bible says the law of God's written on every man's heart. What God asks you to do sometimes is going to be countercultural. It's going to be counterintuitive, and sometimes this is going to be crazy. The woman, the widow with the might, she gave her might. It was her last, I might add. If y'all don't give me some credit right now, I don't have any credit. I don't have any clever jokes ever, but I got some puns today. 
girl had a mite. A mite was probably worth less than a penny as far as back as back then. Jokers were throwing wads, the rich religious people. Girl throws her last mite. That is unorthodox. That is not normal. That is crazy. She's got kids. Well, she's got kids. But normal isn't the goal in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus said, he said, she's the greatest. Not the people dropping all the stuff, uh, the percentages that they can handle, but the woman who says, I trust you. Normal isn't the goal in this kingdom. And if you want to be connected to it and you want to be connected to him, I'm not talking about love him. A lot of us love him. I'm talking about living the reality of who he says you are and what he has for you. Normal isn't the goal. All my young people in the place right now, you walk in school, quit trying to be so normal. I didn't say overcompensate and be all extra. I said, don't try to be normal. Because what you do is you overcompensate trying to be normal and you end up messing up because you're not yourself. Normal isn't the goal in the kingdom of God. Normal is not the goal. Jesus told the disciples before he ascended, this is 40 days after the resurrection, right? Before he ascended, he said, guys, I want you to wait up in Jerusalem. I want you to hold up. I want you to wait. I got work to do. John the Baptist baptized, with, baptized you with water. You're going to hold up in Jerusalem. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He didn't give them details. He gave them directions. God will not give you the details you want, but he will give you the directions, and you can trust him or not. He will not give you details. He says, guys, I want you to hold up in Jerusalem after I ascend. I want you to wait. I want you to worship me and seek me. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you something. I'm gonna, you're going to see something awesome. He didn't give details. He didn't give time. And it could have been 10 days, 10 months, 10 years. He just said, hold up in Jerusalem until I show up there. If you're waiting for, for God, if you're waiting on something, please do not get impatient waiting. God will not give you details. There is nothing in the Bible that can give time frames to what he has for you. Honestly, when I read the Bible, I don't even see a promise of quantity in life. What I see is a promise of quality. So if I die tomorrow, I'm going to die loving him with every breath. He didn't, he didn't promise me quantity. He promised me quality, and that's based on what I choose and how I connect with him. And so he says, wait. You need to wait. You are going to squander and squelch what God has put in your heart and what he has for you in your future if you don't begin to learn to wait. Man, I'm the young buck, y'all. I started ministry, and I saw the last generation that they would pray all day and not do anything. And that's the truth. The generational extreme of the pastors and leaders and Christians before me is they'd sit there, and everything was falling apart in their life. They said, let's just pray about it. But I'm going to tell you, our generation, anybody that's about 50 and under, let me tell you, your problem is you won't sit down and shut up and listen. You want to make a move. You want to make it happen. You try to push doors open that God has closed on you, and you need to wait, Isaiah Set, spoke to our generation, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. But what we do is we Google all day about the next move. What should I do this way? I Google because we don't like change and we're ready for the change we're believing for and we want the next step to be what God is going to give you 10 steps from now, but you rush it and you lose out because of it. Normal isn't the goal in the kingdom of God. So back to the scripture. Uh, Jesus said, wait. Hold up. They waited. They worshiped. 120 of them were in an upper room. Ten days later, ten days, they didn't get that time, and it could have been ten months. They were going to be still sitting there because ten days later, they were worshiping in an upper room. 
in our culture, we like to interpret it, it was a house. It wasn't a house because in those times, uh, houses didn't hold 120 people. Most don't now. It was probably some type of temple colonnade, which the best I could come up with with my brain is like on a cruise ship, you look up and down with the main floors and you can hear a lot more than you can see. This is the most crowded time in Jerusalem. Jesus waited 10 days later. They didn't know this because it was the most crowded time in Jerusalem of the year because it was the day of Pentecost. Pentecost in the Old Testament was when God gave Israel the law. It was a celebration. So Jesus waited to the perfect time to put a display of the power of God on show. They didn't know that, but that's what he was planning. Ten days later, y'all ready? Tell somebody it's about to get weird. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, the upper room, seeking. Suddenly, suddenly, don't let that fool you, it was after 10 days of intentionality. There was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, say then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. So what happened here is this, they, the presence of God fell on them in the upper room and everybody beneath them, which was a packed city, heard what was going on. And that day, this awkward, this windstorm, this tongues, there was a melting pot of Israelites melting pot of Jews, and they all understood it in their own language. It was awkward. I'm just telling you, it was as awkward then as it would be now. But that day, 3,000 people in Jerusalem came to Jesus. The first time that his presence poured out over the place, and it was awkward. It was awkward. But it was real. It was mighty. It was powerful, and it wasn't fake. It was God. But watch what happens. Acts 2, it says, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They ask each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're drunk. That's all. This was an authentic experience from God. And there were still skeptical people. They're drunk. You read later, Peter comes out. He's like, boys, it's 9 a.m. If we were drunk, we'd still be recovering from last night, guys. We ain't drunk. Drunk people ain't up doing this. They're still hungover at 9 a.m. We didn't have a ba- Nothing's changed. We're still skeptical. When God hits you in the face with some blessings, you're still skeptical. They were right in front of them, and, and half the people said, hey, man, this is real. They were questioned. They opened their heart to the possibilities. The other half said, ah, and people were fake and drunk. And you get to choose if you're going to be skeptical or if you're going to be open. But I'm going to tell you, when God takes over your life, normal is not the goal anymore. Normal is not the goal when he takes over your life. Being hungry for more of him opens your heart to more of him. I'm going to say that again. Being hungry for more of him opens your heart to more of him. The psalmist writes in Psalms, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open your mouth and I will feed you. Open your mouth. 
Jesus in John 6. It's crazy. They were like asking him, we want some proof. We want some proof. We want some. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you, Jesus. What can you do after all? We're always that way. I just want to see some evidence. I'm not, st- we are so caught up in our reason and our, in our opinions that we can't, you wonder why we're so squelched and why God doesn't do anything with us. We are the most skeptical people. They were back then. He said, they said, give us some proof, give us some proof. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. They got proof. We want proof. Scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So in the Old Testament, while Israel was wandering in the wilderness, by the way, the entire Bible is our story. We do it just different days, same crap. So what happened is in the Old Testament, what had happened was is they were, uh, they were wandering in the wilderness instead of going into the promise that God had for them because they were scared. You know what God did? God provided manna, bread for them to eat because even though they weren't in his will, he was going to make sure they weren't going to starve to death. God will do that for you. When you have wavered, when you have lived your life, when you have wasted decades being bitter, being skeptical, being angry, hating and blaming everybody, doing stupid stuff, dating the same people, hanging out with the same people, he has made sure that you have not died. And that's what he did then. That's what it looked like then. My goodness, my hands. Woo, we're going to get this figured out, Connor. But I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Connor's the man. He knew exactly what I needed. My son knows what I need. He brings me, he's like, you got you to focus today. Scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven. We won't prove. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. So he said, I'm telling y'all, this stuff got him put on a cross. And it didn't get him put on a cross by people that were skeptics, by people, his own people, church people. He says, let's start this thing off first. Moses didn't do nothing. Moses was a vessel. Moses just got used by my father. And that's the first thing of pride. We're like, man, look what I did. Look what I built. Look at, look at, look at, look at what I did, right? You ain't done nothing. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Not from you, not from me, from above. And I'm telling you, I've been my own self thought, man, God did some good things in my life. No, God did them. I didn't. And sometimes, some days I still don't. I'm like, I'm a mess. So he said, let's start this thing real quick. You didn't, God, God, Moses did nothing but obey him. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life. To the world, he's talking about himself. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. (laughs) Jesus replied, I am that bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. They're like, give me some. Hey, I want what I want it. I want it. He said, come get you some, big daddy. I mean, he said some awkward stuff. Y'all tell somebody it's going to get weird up in here. Well, you don't like, they don't like preaching on this stuff in, in America because it's like, oh, he said to eat me. No, he was, to, man, there are some things that he wants to deposit in you. There's some things inside of you, but you're not going to get them until you connect and get close to him again. He says, you want me? Come on. But what happens is you're at least comfortable enough in that marriage. You're at least comfortable enough in your financial position. You're at least comfortable enough not getting caught doing the dishonest things that you've been holding everybody in the dark about, and you ain't coming. And the religious people were the same. They were just comfortable enough not to come. And because they didn't come, instead of get changed, they got callous and they put him on a cross. But he didn't die there. 
Just saying. They did. We don't hear anything about them. But I ain't trying to live like that. God does not feel God's presence. God doesn't give his presence and his power to broke people, to rich people, to scholars, to bad people, to good people. God gives his presence to hungry people. There were times in my life, I've always, y'all, since I can remember, I've loved his word and him. But there's been times in my life, even more than I told you earlier in the message, that I was not as hungry. And guess what? I'm the Lord your God. You want me to feed you open your mouth. And I wasn't opening my mouth. I thought, man, I got my prayers answered because we're like that. We get to this ceiling that we're okay with. And God's like, uh-uh, I want you to bust out this ceiling. What's he going to do? He's going to bust you out of it. Being hungry for more of him opens you up to more of him. I didn't say mature. Hey, I want you to read your Bible, but you don't have to go get three degrees like me. Matter of fact, I encourage you not to because it costs a lot of money and I'm still paying for it. He feels hungry people. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are hungry for me. But what happens is you're too hungry for your next adventure your next thrill, your next, your next promotion, your next, your, next financial, uh, your next financial gain. You're hungry for everything. You're hungry for your ne- young people, your next bench press max. Being hungry for him opens you up for more of him. Hunger, say hunger. Jesus said, I will ask the Father. This is when he was still on earth. And he will give you another advocate, another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into, read that with me, all truth. All truth. Not your truth. All truth. Not my truth. I'm wrong about some stuff. If I ever am wrong, just know I told you so. All truth. The world cannot receive him because it it isn't. Looking for him. Why is it not looking for him? Why are we not looking for him? Because we're not hungry. I promise you, you leave church today, you're going to be looking for lunch. You know why? Because you're hungry. Says the world don't recognize me. They don't want, they don't recognize me because they're not hungry for me. You're hungry for your ways, your truth, your way, your words, your ideas, your opinions. You go into corporate, you go into your meetings, meeting rooms, and you want to be the center of attention. When you don't get the attention in your marriage or in your family enough, you whine about it because you want yours. And you're not hungry for them. You're hungry for attention. You date bad guys. You put up with bad girls or vice versa because that you're not hungry for him. And he said, they don't recognize me because they're not looking for me. And then he says this, um, but you know him. He's talking to his disciples. You know me because he lives with you now because Jesus was looking him in the eye at that point and later will be in you. Because he said, hey, the whole plan was for me to check out and check, out, check in inside of him. And he said, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm not going to be in front of you, but I'm coming to you. And you can be numb to it. Y'all, I have had moments where I was so numb 
to his presence. I've had moments where I think I preached some of the best sermons of my life, but I was numb. I wasn't feeling them. I was just preaching them. Being more hungry for him opens you up to more of him. You come to church like a checklist. You come to church, you want to get all, in American church, we just want to be in our fields. Come to church, checklist, be in your fields, be comfortable. Oh, if somebody rubs you the wrong way, God forbid somebody gets on to your kid. You're on to the next church. Hey, maybe build some clientele in the process. You want to feel good. You don't want to be challenged. Hey, I've had people say, we love Catalyst, but we don't like your fist bumps and we ain't coming back. Well, that's okay because if that makes you uncomfortable, there's going to be a lot more coming after that. So you probably need to find another church to make you more comfortable. But we're going to be a hungry church, Catalyst. If you come just for that, we're going to be raw. We're going to have fun. I'm going to say some crazy stuff. I'm probably going to preach in bathing suits many a times. You will never see me in a suit. But if y'all want to wear a suit and that's you, by all means, it's just I'm a jeans and a shirt guy. Until I get home, then we ain't going to talk about it anymore. Depends on who's there and what the day is. We're going to do all those things. We're going to be, this is, in my opinion, the most dynamic church I've ever really seen or been a part of and diverse too. But if you're here for those reasons, you will not stay long because we are going to be hungry for him. We are going to be hungry. And if you don't take that seriously, go hit the door. I love you, but I want you to find something that's a little less threatening. Maybe one day you can come on back in. We are going to be hungry because Jesus said the reason they ain't finding me is because they're not looking, they're not hungry. And when you're not hungry, what happens is your heart begins to change and you are the person that put him on the cross. And what happens is you walk so far from who God wants you to be and who you were created to be and you don't even recognize it and you will crucify anybody that challenges you because you were not hungry. Jesus said they don't look for me because they're not hungry for me. We are going to be a hungry church. We're not just going to be satisfied. I'm going to seek him. I I love him more than ever and I never want to lose this hunger, hunger for him because being hungry for him opens you up to more of him. And you were guarded. You were skeptical. You don't even like talking to the person next to you. We ask you to serve. You're like, oh, I'm hiding. Because you were skeptical and guarded. You were not hungry. You want to see his presence and power in your life? Be hungry. Keep feeding it. If you ever get to the place where you think you're satisfied, you ain't hungry anymore, God forbid. You may love him, but your depth and ceiling just stopped. Lastly, awkward isn't always bad. Awkward isn't always bad. Y'all see my Sprite Zero up in his mug? <laughs> I, I go through phases. But this is a phase I hadn't had through in a while. I love these little bottles of Sprite. Because if I want more than a 12 ounce, I'm going to drink two of them. And if I don't want to drink, drink a 12 ounce, I don't waste as much because these are 12. Actually, they are. I thought they were eight. I lied. I'm not a numbers person. That's why I preach. I just like them. Is that okay? But what I found is when I'm walking around the facilities and I'm ticking real bad, because, you know, here lately I've been ticking a little bit more, been hurting a little bit. It's all right. It's a phase. His, his, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so I'll get to shaking and don't even realize that I'm over here ticking, and then I'll pop the top. And, and God will shake your life up for the same reasons. He will shake your life up. He will make it. He will, and, and typically how he shakes your life up is he puts you in awkward, uncomfortable situations that you did not ask for or intend on. 
awkward, foolish, right? Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who are stubborn, set in their ways, don't want to change, don't like being uncomfortable, foolishness. Bible also says that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. The awkward things, the things that in American culture we're so comfortable and we got enough money in the bank to die comfortable that we don't like getting uncomfortable. We got no incentive to get uncomfortable. So what does God do? He shakes things up. You lose your job. Your wife or husband leaves you or you get cray cray and leave them and you ain't got no sense because you think you're going to go to a better life and your life's about to fall apart. He get, You know, there's some things that he's got to shake. He'll shake you up to put you back. He'll put your feet on solid ground, but he's going to shake you up first. And it's funny because those verses were written by a scholar. He had all the information he needed. He could quote the Old Testament verbatim in Hebrew, word for word. But what changed the Apostle Paul's life wasn't more information. It was God's power and God's presence. Foolishness, awkward. God wants to shake some things up in your life. I'm going to give you the disclaimer again, Catalyst. I will absolutely never pressure or force anything on you. But I want to share my experience with you. I want to share my interpretations with you, and I will never pressure it on you. I grew up a charismatic, went to a Baptist seminary, got taught, learned a lot from both, still learn a lot from both, and a lot of other denominations. Had to unlearn some from both. Had to unlearn a lot from myself some days. A lot of days. But what I've learned is we all put God in a box. Every denomination, non-denominations, tell somebody, say, that's us. Every human, we put God in a box. And I'm going to tell you, he'll break out of your boxes and he will never fit into your formulas. And he will shake your world up if you try to put him in there before he breaks out so that you can know he don't fit there. And so I want to share with you my experience, my interpretation. I've only done this one other time, I think, at Catalyst. Because I want you to know that awkward isn't always bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul speaks, and just so you know, Paul very clearly talks about two types of tongues in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14. It's very clear. There's a public tongue, which is what happened in Acts chapter 2 when the tongues of fire fell on Jerusalem that we read about earlier. They all understood at one time. It was public. But Paul talks about something else totally, and I'm not reading too much into it. I'm going to show you. He says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14, but anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Stop right there. This is not a spiritual gift right here. Spiritual gifts are for people, not God. I mean, they're to serve God, but they're to invest in others. So when God gives me the gift of exhortation and encouragement from the stage, when God gives you the gift of mercy and Smokey and Terry and Tara and all my staff serving the servants they are, that is a gift for people. But Paul, very clearly, a spirit, they taught me in Baptist seminary, one of the best things they taught me, a spiritual gift isn't, is for others. And so Paul says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries. Remember that word for later, mysteries by the Spirit. I thank God. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Scholars, Greek scholars have said that what this translates is he said, I speak, it actually better translates, 
Corinth, I speak, God, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. But then he says this, and this is where it is. My sensible people that know a little bit about the Bible, I got you. Trust me, I got you. But in the church, Paul said, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul says, I like to use my words. We tell our kids, right? Some things don't change. I love teaching the things that don't change. We tell our kids when they try to ask for something like a baby, you use your words. Charlotte grows up, she tries to baby talk me. I'm gonna say, hey, you want this little Deborah that your mama said you can't have? You better use them words. You say, grandpops, I want little Deborah. And I'm gonna say, yes, don't tell your mama daddy. On Sundays, I use my words. When I talk to people, I use my words. When I teach the Bible, Paul, so Corinth was the most charismatic church in the New Testament. Okay, they were the most charismatic church. So they, they kind of got out of hand. They were a little cray cray like us. I like it though. Because God can use people who are open. He can't use people. He can use crazy people. He can't use close people. And so Paul says, I would rather speak five words that make sense than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Okay, so I will always use my words. You will never see me up here on a mic speaking in tongues. And honestly, if anybody else does, uh, I will talk to them later because I believe that there is a public thing and, and I don't know that you have that gift. I don't. But Paul says private, private, private. He says he speaks mysteries. This is not just an isolated passage. Romans chapter 8. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is a whole other church he's talking to. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with what? Groanings. That cannot be expressed in words. Ephesians, y'all, we love the armor of God passage where God teaches us how to fight our battles. Y'all know Randall sings that song uh, that, you know, we the verse, you know, he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation. He teaches us. And then we don't like this last verse because uh, it makes us, it makes us uncomfortable. He says, and pray in the spirit at all times. And on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers. So there's this concept. I'm not reading into it. It's there. I believe very clearly that the New Testament church practiced this. It was a private thing. It was a private thing. It's not something that's showy. A lot of people get showy. I think God, I think any great movement of God got when, when it started dying is when it got to be a show. So this thing, praying in the spirit, I was skeptical, y'all. I grew up and saw the abuses and the charismatic renewal. And then I went to a Baptist Bible college and seminary and they made me skeptical. But when I was 22, they made me more skeptical. When I was 22, I just wanted more of him. I found myself in a spot um, that I was just, I wanted to go deeper. I wanted more of what he had, what he offers. And I, and I had this great teacher and pastor who was my pastor at the old, uh, at my old church. And he had such a balanced view and he knew that I was skeptical. And he came out of a Baptist Bible college and Pastor Mark told me, he said, look, it's a private thing. Go seek him, go ask him. If it looks awkward or feels awkward, be awkward with Jesus. <laughs> That's so true. If I'm gonna look crazy, I'm gonna look crazy with Jesus first. Try to at least. So I just began to seek him. I said, he, he, he told me, he said, ask God, Tell him, say, I want everything you have to offer. I want to go deeper. I want more. And I did this for days, y'all. And it felt awkward. I felt like, yeah, everything I thought it was, it was. 
And about 5.30 one morning, I was 22 years old in the heaviest season of my life. And it just, all I can tell you is it hit me. It hit me. I pulled over and I just bawled like a baby. People put names to it. All my guests here, I want you to know I don't like labels. I don't like names. They call it baptism of the Spirit, all those things. I don't like labels because when we try to apply a label to something, that is when it starts becoming something it's not. Because we want to explain things that aren't for us to explain. That's why you don't have faith in God is because there's some things you don't have answers. God said you weren't going to have answers. He don't give details. He gives directions. And so it just hit me. It doesn't make me better than you. I know that a lot of people in circles say, I, I pray in tongues, I'm better. I'm not better than you. A lot of days I'm worse than you. Don't believe me, go ask my baby boy when I drive and somebody drives slow behind in front of me. I'm worse than you many days. But it just hit me. I didn't do some miracle thing. People say, oh, and I started doing that, I led a million people to Jesus in two seconds. No, no, I didn't. No, but there was a connection that happened an intimacy. And it's something private. It's something that you won't hear me. Every now and then my kids and their friends may have in the past come downstairs and hear me. I don't try to yell it. Sometimes early in the morning I wake wake them up, they mad. Paul said he speaks mysteries. The reason I pray in the Spirit is because, and and now all these years later, 90% of my prayer life, personal prayer life is in the Spirit. And it's my way of surrendering. It's not a show for me. It's God, I don't want my way. I don't want even my words. It's yours. If I got cancer tomorrow and they told me I was dying and people would try to pressure me like they did when I was a kid to confess healing and and, and to tell me you don't pray in tongues because you don't have faith. Nope, nope, nope. I would just pray in the Spirit because I want His words. I want His way. I don't believe it's some secret code. God's a big boy. You cannot pray at all. He knows what you need. I believe it is surrender. And Paul says he speaks mysteries. I believe God transcends time. I believe that I prayed for this crowd years before you ever walked in this door. I believe I prayed for Catalyst Church years before it ever existed. I believe that I prayed for my wife and kids years before I even met them. And they were those prayer sessions that I was bawling like a baby. Saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I didn't even say it like that. I just, I don't even have words, Lord. I want you to be my word. You to be my voice. The Bible says his word is above his name. You. And so I will never force anything like that on you. But I want you to know there's everything that's available. And if you will go deeper day by day, his presence will begin to change your life. And I was dumb enough after 22 years old to become callous by doing ministry. And I had to repent and say, Lord, I want you. Ain't nothing changed since I was that little kid. Only thing that's changed is me. And I want you. And that intimacy and closeness gave me an endurance that I've been able to overcome supernatural power comes from his presence and his words I don't know what it looks like for you will you stand with me I don't know what it looks like for you I don't know what it looks like all I know is whatever it looks like in your life whatever it takes I'd encourage you to do it 
John, for John, the Bible says he fell on his face as if he were dead and worshiped God. For Job, he lost everything. He lost 10 kids. He lost his fortune. He got struck with leprosy. His wife and friends were saying, curse God and die. You know what the Bible says he did? It says he shaved his head to humble himself. It was a cultural humbling. And then he fell on his knees, ripped his garments, and it says he worshiped. He connected. David, David's baby was dying. By the way, David's baby died. But the Bible says David prayed and he fasted. When David's soldiers tried to kill him because they blamed him for a situation that happened in the Old Testament, the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He sought him. David made mistakes, but David didn't stay in his mistakes because he repented and said, God, I'm coming back to you. You always love me and I'm going to receive it. Jesus Elijah went on a mountain to find him. He went up a mountain and got away from everything. And some of you in your life, you need to get away from some things. You need to get away from some people. You need to get away from some stress. And you need to seek him. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I want you to know God's got something for you. It may not look like what it is for me. It won't. And my story isn't yours. But I know that you are his child. And he loves you and wants to be as close to you as he does me. Jesus, there were times he stayed up all night seeking his heavenly father as an example we can have that right here the woman with the alabaster jar of ointment she busted in a party that nobody wanted her at she was not welcome she didn't care what anybody thought she poured a year's worth of salary on his feet she washed his feet with her tears and her hair I don't know what it looks like for you God doesn't fit in boxes He doesn't fit in your formulas. But I know that it is not by power nor by might, but by His Spirit. I know that He loves you, and I don't know if it's going to look like what it is for me. I would never force it on you. I'm just going to teach it. But I'm telling you, one step at a time, one moment, seek Him, Catalyst. We are in a time that it is time to rebuild our faiths. It is time to rebuild our lives. You can stay in COVID-19 all the way to the rest of your life, but I choose to build. I choose to love Him. I choose to be desperate. If life picks up tomorrow or if life picks up 10 years or if it never does, He is faithful. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord takes away. Prayer team, will you come up right now? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, we're going to sing this song. I want you to cry. Will you say, fill me up? Say, say, Lord, fill me up. Say, fill me up. If you will do it, I don't know what it's going to look like. If you will go deeper, if you will say, God, I want more. God, I need to come back. I need to get hungry again. I need to get thirsty again. If you will begin to do that, this is just the start of the conversation. When I pray, we're going to bust back into worship for a minute. And I want you, if you, I don't know what you need to do, drop at your knees at your chair, fall on your face, find a corner, stand there all introspective, uh, come to the altar, tell your, tell your spouse you're sorry, tell your kids, bring them to the... I don't know. I just know we want to be here for you. And if you will go deeper, I swear to you, he will day by day draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I've seen him. He will fill you. You may be empty or you may be winning and ignoring him, but he will 
fill you. Lord, right now, we love you. Online, my email's coming up. If you need somebody to reach out to you in the next day or two, we are here for you. Lord, fill us up, Lord. I have been in some dry seasons, and dry seasons are our fault. Hey, what happened may not be our fault, but staying in what happened is our fault. Lord, fill us with your presence. Lord, we can do greater things. You said we would do greater things. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's a promise. And we take you up on it, Lord. And whatever it looks like, if it's awkward, uncomfortable, inconvenient, fill us up, Lord. Fill us up. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know your story. Let us know how this message impacts your life. You can message us at info at imcatalyst.net. We're here for you and we are for you. If you have a prayer request, you can message us at prayer at iamcatalyst.net. To keep up with what's going on at Catalyst Church in Carrollton, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Jesus cares about you. We care about you. And we hope you join us again on the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast.